to be with you this morning. It's always a joy and privilege to be with you. If you didn't get your Father's Day gift, uh, you can grab a Snickers on your way out. So make sure you get one of those before you leave. My dad was uh, 46 years old when he came to Christ. It changed the trajectory of our family's life. And uh, I can remember... The first Sunday that we got all dressed up to go to church, we hadn't gone to church um, before the Lord got a hold of him, and, and um, that first Sunday, we, we, uh, we got really dressed up, all right? Uh, my mom and dad thought that they were going on the red carpet, and, and I thought that I, I guess they put me in a, in a bow tie and some suspenders. I've got a picture here for you of something like the first Sunday. That was, that was us right there. So you, you, got a, you got a good shot of us going to church there. You have this picture, but um, there's a lot of stories like that in this room of fathers leading their family back to the Lord. And um, I'm thankful for my father in doing that for our family. It's truly a, a remarkable work of God for grown men to humble themselves, to recognize their need for Christ. And uh, again, my dad was 46 years old when that happened. I was three at the time, changed my trajectory of my life. But we're in a series called The Power of God, and we're looking through the book of Acts. We're looking at this early church, and, and Jesus has spent 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection. He's speaking with them about the kingdom of God. And he says to them in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the book explains how this happens. It's a beautiful picture of the power of God God moving among his people for his glory, for his good works and his purposes. The past few weeks, um, we've seen Paul and Barnabas and their first missionary journey. What a, what a missionary journey it has been. And they proclaim this gospel in many, many cities to both Jews and Gentiles. And I, and I want to go over just what they faced a little bit before we get into the text this morning, because we're only going to do one verse. Doesn't mean it's going to be shorter, but we are going to just do one verse this morning. But I want you to see what they have faced these past weeks as they've been sharing the gospel from town to town. They began in Cyprus and they shared the gospel over the whole island. They encounter this magician, Elymas, and his dark arts. And this guy opposed the sharing of the gospel so much that he's, he's trying to turn people away from the faith. They leave there, Cyprus, and they go to Pisidian Antioch where they preach the gospel in the synagogue there. The people say, we want to hear more next week. And this huge crowd gathers to hear this gospel. It sounds like it's going to be a great thing. But the Jews become jealous and begin to contradict what Paul is saying. And drive them out of that city. They move to Iconium where a great number of Jews and Greeks believe 
But here again, the unbelievers are stirred up and it's, the Bible says that, it, that they began to poison their minds against the brothers. They stay as long as they can, but they hear that they're about to be stoned. So they jet out of there and they move to Lystra. In Lystra, they begin to worship them because of the, the signs and wonders that they're performing uh, as they're preaching this gospel. And they begin to think that this is Hermes and Zeus and they begin to, to worship them. They're so enthralled with them. Paul's like, no, no, we worship the one true God. We're not worshiping man. And then what happens? People from... The other cities come and they stir up the people again, in which they stone Paul, leave him for dead. Paul gets up after being stoned, thrown rocks at, left for dead on the ground. He goes back into the city and preaches the gospel, in which he goes back to the places and the towns in which they have been. And here's what they do when they go back. They encourage the believers to continue in the faith. And they do something else. Some of you thought that we forgot last week, verse 23, but we did not. They appoint elders in every church. So this morning we're going to be talking about the shepherding spirit of God. So if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 14, we'll pick up and we'll start in verse 21 so we get the complete thought, but we'll be focusing our attention on verse 23 this morning. So if you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we're in Acts chapter 14, verse 21 is where we'll start. When they had preached the gospel... To that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You can be seated. This is a great passage of scripture. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this morning. We're thankful that you have given leaders in God's church to, Father, be an example to the flock Father, we praise you that you have given people in our lives who are, Father, responsible to continue to teach the gospel in our churches, to advance the name of Christ, to teach with the authority of the word of God into the lives of people. We thank you for the many, many impacts that have been made. And Father, we pray for grace upon grace for leaders and fathers and others in the church. And Father, we ask that you would offer us all grace as we teach your word, we lead in the church, in the home. Father, we thank you and praise you for this morning. May you speak to us through your word and help us to understand 
your church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Growing up, I had this picture on my wall. I don't know where I got it from, but I had this picture on the wall as as far back as I can remember, and it's a picture of a Jesus fish. Some of you guys know what that is. It's an ichthus, and the the early church used this picture of a fish to identify themselves in times of persecution. Um, a fish, this Jesus fish, would be painted on the outside of doors of houses of Christians to let other Christians know that they are welcome to come inside and that this was a picture of, of people who were um, welcome here. The ancient catacombs in Rome are filled with this image of this fish carved by Christians that are hiding from the persecution of the world as the early emperors would... Um, want to persecute, to go, to go against what the Christians were teaching. And this, this is the picture that I had. Some of you may have had something similar to this growing up. But you see the Christian fish there, and he's going against the flow of the traffic, right? He's going against the shark and the, the, the really scary-looking fish that's in the bottom of the sea that no one ever seen before, but it's in the bottom there. And you see all these fish going one way. And I can remember just looking at this poster all the time. And if you're ever wondering what a pastor does, that is what he does. Right there. He goes against the flow of the world. And sometimes he goes against the flow of people, even within the church. To stand upon Christ and the gospel. You see, these leaders in, the, in God's church stand upon God's word no matter what the culture is saying and no matter what the culture is doing. And many times they are hated for it. So many times we read the scriptures and it says you should have elders or you should have pastors or you should... This is what a pastor does or this is what an elder does. We read that all over the scriptures. But here in Acts 14, we see why there are elders. Why it's important for the church to have qualified leaders who are examples to the flock of God for the advancement of the gospel. It is because of the opposition to, of the gospel. Before we read the scripture, I showed you all of the opposition to the gospel that Paul was undertaking in these places where he was. Do you think the opposition left the Christians when Paul left? No. The opposition was probably even stronger and Paul had to have men who would stand upon the word of God in these churches. Paul speaks of the, uh, I'm sorry, John speaks in 1 John of the spirit of the Antichrist. Those who have opposed Christ have come and are coming and this is the world in which we live. There are anti-Christ. There are false teachers. There are false spirits. There are false 
identities all over the place that do not stand upon the word of God. And each and every church must have people who are qualified to lead God's church to stand upon the truth of the gospel. It is a reason why the fathers in your own home must teach your children the word of God. Pastors or elders must teach and equip the flock of God through the word of God. 2 Timothy 4 tells us, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into mist. This is the day and age in which we live, in which people will find what they want to hear. They can find it on YouTube. They can find it on Google. They can find it at the church down the street. They can find it at the church across town. They can find what they want to hear. But it is genuinely not what we want to hear that which we need. It is the very word of God in which we as the people of God need to hear. It is the word of God which transforms our hearts, our minds, and our souls. You see, these churches in which Paul has planted in Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Pisidian Antioch, Cyprus, Paul will write to some of these churches in the letter to the Galatians. Paul will encourage them to stand upon the gospel. In Galatians, you read Galatians, you, you, you get a little jolt in you, okay? When you read Galatians, you're like, whoa, he's really serious about this gospel. He's really serious about not moving one inch to the right or to the left, but being straightforward in the gospel of Christ. And Paul, after being stoned and left for dead, not only goes back to the churches to encourage them, but one other thing, to appoint elders in every church. Last week I had a couple of people say, Rob, I think you skipped verse 23. I'm glad that they were paying attention, right? <clears throat> no, I left it for this weekend. Yeah, and you might, you might even be asking yourself, what does this have to really do with me? I'm not a pastor, probably won't become a pastor. I, I would say that this has a lot to do with you. Every person in this room have been affected by leaders one, in, in one way positively and in sometimes other ways negatively. And, and they've impacted your life both positively and negatively. Some of the most influential people in my life have been pastors. And this is why it's so critical to get this right within the church Because if the church doesn't have a correct understanding of biblical leadership and the importance of it, then the the church just ends up going with the flow of the world. Instead of walking with God from his word. You see, this is one of the ways that the Holy Spirit guides and directs his church through qualified leaders who are filled with the Spirit. And we'll read a passage in Acts chapter 20, which gives, gives us the shepherding spirit here. But they 
here in verse 23, and they had appointed elders for them in every church. With prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Who are they committing them to? They are committing the church, the people of God, to the Lord. But before they do this in fasting and prayer and a time of commitment to the Lord, giving these people to the Lord, they appoint elders for them, for the people. So here's what, what point one says is this. The church appoints servant leaders for the care of God's people. The church appoints servant leaders for the care of God's people. Now notice here, they are plural. These elders are plural. They appointed not an elder in every church, but they appointed elders for them. They are leaders. There's a plurality as to be reminded. Why is there a plurality of leaders in the church? And why is there more than one pastor? Why do we have a plurality of leaders in the church? Because there is only one head of the church. And that is Christ. Think about this. If you appointed one elder in each church. Who are the people reliant upon? They are reliant upon that single elder. It is natural for mankind to be reliant upon one man. But as you can see in the text, he does not commit the people to the elders. He commits the people to the Lord. That is imperative. Because when we study the scripture and we understand God's church, if Christ is the head of the church, then the church will function properly. If man is the head of the church, well, well, you can guess what that happens. It's not so great. The The plurality in the church helps the church focus upon Christ. This is why I don't preach every Sunday. Some of you may be wondering that. Why doesn't Rob preach every Sunday? I actually don't preach once a month for this reason because we have a plurality of pastors and teachers who teach God's word so that you can open the scriptures and see Christ, not Rob. Okay? You can see Christ according to the scriptures. The term elder here, some of you may be a little bit confused. How, how do we use the term elders? Why doesn't it say pastors? It's to describe who these men are. The Bible uses three words to describe this one office. Elder, overseer, pastor, or shepherd to describe this office. The term elder is used here to describe who these men are. They are mature in their faith. They are sound in their doctrine. They are holding to the truths of God's word. These men understand the gospel. They can can defend the gospel. And we have been given their qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Let me read you a bit from Titus 1 as Paul asked Titus to appoint elders in Crete. This is what he says in Titus 1.5. This is why I left you in Crete, 
so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I direct you. Notice the plurality of elders there. Also notice that he puts elders to bring order. Okay? If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife. Again, uh, these are the qualifications for an elder. Somebody who, who, is, who is outstanding or above uh, being, being negatively impacted. The husband of one wife. Someone who loves his, his wife well and, and models the gospel in their marriage. His children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or in insubordination. He's leading his household well. For an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered, not a drunkard, violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. It's a pretty high, high task, okay? Whenever you read that, you should feel the weight of that. I feel the weight of that every time I read it, okay? But, but really, all of us as believers should, should look at that and go, yes, yes, that's what we should be. But that is the qualifications for, for a pastor, overseer, elder, Within the church, when when we selected Cody just recently as our youth pastor, we we spent time looking at these qualifications. As you, as you can see, age is not a requirement, neither is education, but it is it is the character and the nature of a, of a man who walks with God, who will be able to handle himself with people in Christ-like ways. And also be able to handle the word of God in sound doctrine. Cody, Cody fits, fits that bill. That's why we chose him. Anytime we can have a fa- pastor come on staff or in the future, we have others in the flock who want to shepherd as recognized elders, there will be rigorous testing and understanding and seeing if these guys fit the requirements, the qualifications for this office in the church. So 1 Timothy 3 and here in Titus use another term, not just the word elder, but they use another term to describe what an elder does. They use the term overseer. And he is held, so if elder describes who he is, The term overseer describes what he does. He is held responsible for what happens in the flock of God. He he is responsible for that. Later in Acts, while referring to elders in Ephesus, Paul gives them this charge. And this is where we get the title of the sermon today. I want you to hear this passage and read this deeply. Acts chapter 20 says this. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Speaking to the elders in Ephesus. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. God himself has placed you in this position. He has equipped you with the Holy Spirit to do this work. To care for the church of God. Which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my 
departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So what do we see in this text? He's giving to the the Ephesian elders. What do we see here as the appointing of elders? What do we see here as he's committing them to the Lord? We see that these people, overseers, elders, pastors, care for the church of God, okay? That's what they do. The spirit of the living God has empowered even maybe some of you to shepherd the flock of God. I think of, of our, our great man who's been in the church for a long time, Mr. Alan Marks. Every week he comes up, he leads in worship. Oftentimes when you have a problem, you, you call Alan. I know I do. Right? He is a shepherd over the church that God has established at Northwest. He's also qualified. That's one of the reasons why he teaches on Sunday mornings. The Spirit has uniquely gifted some of men, even in this room, to shepherd and lead God's church. And, and he, this is a high calling. This is not just something that you do just because you want the recognition or you want, you want to, to be somebody in the church. Hebrews tells us that these men actually must give an account to God himself. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. The leaders in your church, including myself, have to give an account to God of what we have done. That is a humbling statement. It is, a, it is, it is, is constantly a weight on the shoulders of your leaders in this church as pastors If you think of a shepherd in biblical times, you think of someone who protects the flock. Certainly that would be true of a pastor. We read in Acts 20, sheep, wolves, even from the inside, drawing away disciples after themselves. You think of somebody as a shepherd who feeds the flock and and teaching is, is one of the most high responsibilities of the pastor. Someone who nurtures the flock to health and to unity is able to communicate and love and show grace to people. And, and they're able to defend the truth from error. And this is one of the reasons why membership is so important in the body here at Northwest. If your pastors don't know who is in the flock, how can we shepherd you as part of the flock? The primary way that pastors, according to the word of God, care for the flock is by teaching the word of God. 
They feed and they nourish the flock by the truths of the gospel and the scriptures. These overseers, what we called in our first point, servant leaders, why do we call them that? Because they are subservient to the head of the church who is Christ. So let's look at verse 23 again. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. You see, they they did not commit these church members to the elders or say that these church members are in the hands of the elders. No, they committed them to the Lord. It's very important to understand that. It's very important to understand that your pastors and your leaders are just stewards or servants of Christ because it is Christ church. It's not, not Rob's church. It's not the pastor's church. It's not Kyle's church. It's not Cody's church. It's not Alan's church. It's, it's God's church. We are stewards or servants of God. This is our second point this morning. These leaders are under the authority of Christ. These leaders are subservient. They're under the authority of Christ. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm really thankful that it says that Paul committed these people to the Lord in whom they had believed. I'm glad your faith is not dependent upon how good or how trustworthy your leaders are. I know your leaders. I'm thankful for that. Your faith is dependent upon how great Christ is. Amen? You are a part of this church because Christ is the head of the church. You walk with God because Christ has saved you. You don't go to this church because the pastor walks with the Lord. You don't go to this church because he's a good orator. He looks nice, has a good haircut. No, it's because... (laughs) It's because the Lord has saved you. And he has graciously placed you in this place to worship together. But isn't it kind of the point of a leader in the church to be following Jesus, right? That's, that's why the qualifications are as such. So to be an example to the flock of how to live your life and your marriage with your children. How you deal with people. How you teach the word. How you handle the scriptures. You see these, these leaders are called servant leaders. Because they are under the authority of Christ. And so. How does Christ actually lead his church, right? How is he the head of his church? Well, it's because the subservient leaders teach his word. Christ leads his church through the authority of the word of God. In in the qualification for an elder, he is able to teach. He leads by teaching the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. Profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So how do we, how do we lead the church? 
We teach the word so that Christ leads his church. You see that? In Acts chapter 6, the early apostles realized, and we've already studied this passage, but they realized that the teaching of the word and prayer was paramount to the church's health and to the advancement of the gospel. It was these leaders' primary role. The apostles said, we cannot give up the teaching of the word and prayer to serve the tables. Therefore, we must appoint deacons. People who are serving in the church. They're leading in their service. They're leading servants within the church to take care of the needs of the body. These leading servants help pastors care for the flock, organize it, and fulfill the needs within the body. So, so, so I guess, why do we need to understand all these things, right? Well, for one, healthy Churches have pastors who pastor and deacons who deacon. If you have pastors who are deaconing, taking care of all the needs within the body, don't teach the word with boldness or accuracy, then you're messed up. If you have deacons not meeting the needs but leading and often not through the teaching of the word, but their own opinions, then you have a real problem because Christ is the authority Not the deacons, not the pastors. It is the word of God, which is the authority in God's church. So these two offices function properly when the church focuses on what it was intended to do. The advancement of the gospel, right? That's why Paul sets up elders in every church. Because he wants the church to move and advance the gospel. To hold firm to the gospel and advance it. That's what elders do. So, let's read it one more time. Strengthening the souls of the disciples. This is what Paul's doing. Encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. The leaders of the church hold to the gospel. This is our third point this morning. I'm almost done. I know you got to get to lunch, but we're, we're almost done. And this is good. Don't misses. The point is this. When the church is in order, the gospel advances. That's why he puts it in order. It stands upon the truths of the scripture. The gospel moves forward in the midst of opposition. It is the fish standing against the ways of the world. This is what happens in the book of Acts. There is great opposition to the gospel. And Paul says, I give you the church to the Lord. Here are some men to serve under him. That you can imitate. That you can be an example to. Now, I would be remiss to say that some of you have never been hurt by a pastor or leader in the church. You live in Oklahoma. I know that you have been hurt, maybe even by me. That you have been hurt by a pastor 
or leader in the church. And for that, I am truly sorry. I really am. And we must keep our eyes focused upon who is the head of the church. It is Christ, not the pastor. And I encourage you to look at at the church as Christ's church, not the pastor's church. I encourage you to see your faith is in Jesus. And your obedience by gathering together as the church is not because you like the pastor, but because you love Jesus who is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. And he is worthy to be a part of a local congregation. But ultimately, these leaders, they're just shadows of the one true author and perfecter of our faith. It is Christ church. He leads it. He is the one that we follow. We believe this gospel of grace. It never gets old. Think of it like this. This Jesus who holds all things together by his word. He is king of kings and Lord of lords would humble himself to give his life for his church. He bought and he paid for his church, the people of God. He loved you even though while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He would come to the depth of your depravity and your sin and your shame and he would take on that sin. He would take on that shame so that you could be made right, holy, and clean. Today, there, there may be some of you who are fighting against Christ. You're fighting against his word and submitting to Christ. You're needed to humble yourself and say, I need Jesus. You see, You need to come before God and say, I need Christ. You see, the reality is that pastors have the responsibility and are accountable to the Lord for the flock of God. And God places that responsibility on the father in the home in leading their families in the way of the Lord. And it is your responsibility for your children to be able to imitate you as a father, to be an example to them of how to walk with the Lord. As we prayed earlier, it is a great burden that no one can bear. We are not, una- we are, we are not unaware of the struggle to try to be good. That's not what we're saying. We're saying we submit to Christ and we, we rest in the grace of Christ and what he has done as fathers, as leaders in the church. And we walk with our God humbly knowing that he is the one that we follow. He is the one that leads us. So if you're here this morning and need to humble yourself to turn in the direction in which you're going, ask God to change your heart, your life, 
because Christ has done the work and we must submit to him and his leadership in the church and in our life. May the Lord be your shepherd today. I'm going to end with Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For he is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May that wash over your souls as we see the shepherding spirit who is God himself. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and your truth. And may it strengthen our hearts to be reminded of within your church that you are leading. That, Father, you are on the throne. Father, may it be a reminder to us, even in this room, that Christ leads his church and Father, we, we ask that you would do a mighty and powerful work in and through your people. We pray for our fathers in this room that they would humbly submit to Christ and his leadership in their life. That they would not go their own way, but they would turn and repent and turn towards Christ's way. That they would rest in the grace of God and lead their families well. Father, we pray for our leaders in the, in the flock today and we pray that you would, you would give them the strength that they need, Father, to teach the word with boldness.